0: Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. one export market, think about what other export markets you could do well at, and EDC will help you figure that out. With Export Development Canada, doing business abroad doesn't need to be risky. We take on the risks so you can think bigger and grow confidently. EDC, take on the world.
1: listening to the Thrive podcast on the Startup Canada podcast network where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality even faster. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community and subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play Music. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast and leave a review on iTunes for the chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible and your reviews will help us get there. I'm your host, Komal Minhas, founder of CoreSpace, your one-stop shop for all things work, wellness, and impact. Visit KAUR.space to find out more. I'm also the producer of Dream Girl, the documentary film showcasing the lives of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs that we premiered at the Obama White House. I'm so happy to be here today. Welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to have on the show today Mandy Potter, the CEO of Jane, a female-founded cannabis technology company with an impressive $3 million run rate in month five. She was previously the founder of Cleanify, an on-demand home services marketplace which raised $5 million in funding and was sold last year. Built with a mandate of equity and advancing gender parity, Mandy's team at Cleanify was 50% women and 50% people of color, and at Jane it is 75% female run with 75% people of color. As the director, speaker, and judge for the Vancouver chapter of Lesbians Who Tech, as well as a panel guest for Women Who Code Vancouver, Mandy's dedication to connecting the entrepreneur community along with members of marginalized groups is more than evident. Welcome to the show, Mandy. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I am really excited to dive in with you because I actually am an early investor in a cannabis startup myself, and it was my first foray into investing. And I just think that democratizing um, the space is so important, and also the representation in the cannabis sector as a woman of color myself is so important. So thank you for being on the show today. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, so I'd love to know a little bit about what inspired you to start Jane. Um, we're going to rewind a little bit later in the interview to talk about Cleanify a bit, but I'd like to know off the top, what inspired you to create Jane?
2: Yeah, so um, basically where it all started is Cleanify was an on-demand um, marketplace for home services. So I've been in the on-demand space for a while, and as soon as we sold that company, I was sort of you know looking around, thinking about what I wanted to do next Um, and obviously with the legalization with cannabis, it sort of made sense, but I did have, um, a background with that as well, where I, my, my cousin and best friend actually was going through stage four, uh, cancer treatment. And I remember I would be sending her THC pills and, um, CBD pills through her chemo process, just to sort of like help with it. And I saw that the lack of accessibility with it was really evident um, and so I sort of just put two and two together. And that's how Jane was started.
1: That's incredible. And when you were thinking about the service itself, um, what were the constraints that were kind of limiting you? Because I know that with the legalization aspect, but then also being UBC being a unique market. Um, how did you figure out who your suppliers would be or, or what the partner uh, companies would be that you guys would deliver from?
2: Yeah. So we, we work directly with um, legal cannabis stores. So Jane is essentially a one-stop shop for cannabis marketing. So with the e-commerce, uh, commerce, logistic technology for delivery, uh, we do marketing, customer service, all of it. So we're that one-stop shop.
1: That's excellent and so needed. And and obviously, I'm sure many Canadians listening to this outside of BC or Vancouver specifically are probably very excited about what you're bringing to market. Um but when it comes to uh, the diversity on your team and how you've built your team, can you share a little bit about why that matters to you and why that was important to you with both Cleanify and now Jane to have such uh, diverse representation on your teams?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I, I've sort of seen in the past, um, I always stress female entrepreneurship because I believe it's an important source of economic growth. Um, so not only do females create jobs for themselves, but they also create jobs for others. And I've seen this sort of strange thing with female founders where they hire people from, um, you know, not underrepresented groups. So some hire predominantly male employees, and I believe it's adding to the problem of male-dominated industries. So the reason why diversity is so important to me is just to, basically, if you're looking at your consumers and your customers, I think that your team should reflect who those people are because you're able to actually solve their problems properly.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when, when you're looking at that in terms of how your customers respond, do you notice that they notice? Um, that's something that I'm always curious about because sometimes people are like, just keep it subliminal. Like you don't need to name it. Um, just get in the subconscious of people with representation. But in your bio alone, you, you've, put, you've nailed it on the head. And I, I personally think when we speak it, it's, it's really important. So have you noticed any um, uh, observation from your customers about this representation?
2: Yeah, definitely. I was actually on a radio show um, before for people who are hard of hearing and hard um, of seeing as well. Um, So we actually set up our website um, to make it more accessible to people. So there's different things that you can actually do with the code, um, with screen readers and that type of thing. And I know that we have gotten a lot of feedback from customers who do use cannabis, either recreational or medicinally, um, that that's really helped them.
1: Very cool. I, I myself, like we had someone who was a, a disability advocate on the show talking about the ways that you can make your e-commerce platform so much more inclusive, just with like things like descriptive text and, and these different pieces that a lot of entrepreneurs don't even think about when they're building their products. So exactly. thank you for being so progressive with how you are um, building your companies. Um So I'd love to do the rewind. And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what got you into entrepreneurship in the first place? What inspired you to start your own company?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, So I started my first company when I was about 19 years old. It was actually when I was in university still. And I sort of started this little cleaning company as like a side gig uh, just to get some money while I was going to school. And I sort of saw all these problems in the cleaning industry Um, especially in the form of these larger corporations, cleaning corporations, janitorial services that were taking advantage of their employees. And this is basically where the basis of Cleanify came from was our whole goal was um, to basically create a million jobs. And by doing that, we wanted these people to become entrepreneurs themselves and build their own cleaning services. And then they could be on the Cleanify platform um, where we could actually market them and help them get new customers.
1: That's remarkable. And when you were building the infrastructure around um, growing Cleanify, how did you build your team? You were so young. Like, what what brought? What did you know how to do? And then what did you figure out how to outsource?
2: Uh, it was such a learning curve. It's it's so hard to um, you know starting something whether you're 19 or 59. If you have never done that before, I think it's the same learning curve no matter what. Um, so a lot of mine was just finding the right people to be around to sort of teach me different parts of the business. So when we were even finding our, like our founding team, um, uh, we made sure that we were all extremely diverse in what we are strong at. And through that, I learned a lot from, let's say like my, um, CMO, I learned about a lot more about marketing than I would have in a, sitting in a classroom. Um, so I think a lot of the, you know, learning blocks of, of my situation was just by being surrounded by people that we're very diverse in their thinking and very diverse in what they're actually strong at doing.
1: You're, you're very invested in the Vancouver community and, uh, you know, have are, are the lead for the Vancouver chapters of Lesbians Who Tech and uh, pe- spoken on panels often for women who code Vancouver. E- community building, I, I can make an assumption, I think, is a part of who you are. When you were initially starting out, what communities or resources did you tap into in your entrepreneurial journey? So it was a
2: lot easier this time around because I've been through that process of starting a company. Um, But back then, I didn't really have a lot of resources or support aside, aside from my team. So I didn't really seek any either because I didn't know where to look. And I think there's, I sort of realized that there's a lot of strength in being a part of an underrepresented group in entrepreneurship and technology. And so my advice would be to seek out different networking groups um, there's black girls who code, there's lesbians who tech, there's women in code, there's tons of resources with people who are similar to us. Um, and I think it's really important because it also make you feel a lot less alone in this entrepreneurial journey.
1: Yeah, I, I can definitely, I think most founders can empathize with the loneliness with yeah. what this process is like. And I think when we feel seen in our communities, um, it can just make us feel less alone. Um, definitely. Totally. Uh, So can you share a little bit about uh, what the process was like to actually sell Cleanify? I think that it's a huge win uh, for women entrepreneurs across the country to have someone like you who has built and sold a company and then gone right back into it um, with another one. But what was that process like? Was it something that you had strategized around or thought about prior to the sale happening? Um, Can you walk us through that experience?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I think that um, at the point when we were thinking about selling Cleanify was a really hard decision because at that point we'd been doing it for so many years. It was like a baby to us. Um, but we got it to this point where a lot of people were actually approaching us. So, it, you know, a lot of that was just sitting down and talking about, you know, do you want to continue trying to grow this company? Should we sell it and go do something else that's really cool? Um, and we eventually got to the decision of selling it. And, I think it was just it was a little bit easier for us just because we had those people approaching us. Um a lot of them wanted to do aqua hires. We weren't interested in that because we knew that we wanted to start another company going forward. So I think it just really depends on what place your company is in at that moment whether it's something that is going to work for you. I I really believe in aqua hires. I think it's a great um, situation to be in but at that point it wasn't for us So we basically were just selling the assets of the company
1: and so aqua hires or acquisition plus hire just for our listeners Yes, okay, so they would have wanted to take you guys along with the company exactly um, so when you were uh, Starting the next company was it the same founding team or same team that you had on cleanify that that stepped into the new one together uh,
2: so I actually started um, Jane initially by myself. And then I brought along my brother who was um, my founding team with Cleanify. So it's also a family business. It is a family business.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Can you share a little bit about that experience? My brother, is, oh, yeah. he's also an entrepreneur, but we don't, we we support each other from afar, but we're not in business together. But what's it been like to build two family businesses? Um, I can say that
2: it is awesome, and it can also be hell, Um, (laughs) to be be completely frank. Um, I think why it works with my brother and I is that we have very different strengths, and we have very different opinions, and that actually, for some reason, cohesively works in building a business together, whereas a lot of times, it can sort of break you apart. Um, But I, I do think that there is a strength in being family or even a really close friend, because... We've spent 30 years now fighting with each other. So we know how to resolve things really quickly. So <laughs> and you we know you'll disagre- still be
1: brother and sister at the end of the day,
2: right? <laughs> exactly. I can't get rid of him. I don't, I don't think my parents would, would like that too much. But yeah, we, we know how to fight really well. And that's a big part of growing a company is disagreeing on things.
1: I actually would love to get into that a little bit because I do think that like the parameters of siblinghood allow you to get messy and, and into those fights. And like you said, fight really well, but do you have advice for folks out there who maybe aren't in business with people who they are long-term committed to or know that they have to end up back with, um, how do you fight? Well, what does that look like?
2: Oh man, that's such a hard question. <laughs> I, I think that, I think step one Sort of with me, we always did this thing when we were hiring um, new people is we go out and get drunk with them. And so maybe that doesn't work for everyone, but for <laughs> us we so like, good. it'll dig right down to the core when you get drunk with someone and you'll know them really well. They, people say things that they normally wouldn't when they have had a few beers in them. So I think that's like a really important process. Like when, even when we do our interviews and stuff like that, it would usually be at a bar Having a couple of drinks. And I think that you really get to know someone that way. Um, and so I think it's just like, if you are, especially if you're trying to find a founding team, it's so important to like truly know who that person is because those bad sides, I mean, we all have bad sides, but those bad sides are going to come out eventually. So you might as well see them sooner than later. And that's sort of how you learn quicker how to sort of adapt um, to dealing with difficult situations together.
1: Because I think there is this air of politeness, especially like, I mean, we are Canadians, that is uh, synonymous with us, but it's like you, you have to be able to deal with all sides of the people you're around all day, every day, and encourage them to just be honest. So I think that that's a huge part of this, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. And especially as women, we are, we've always been in sort of this apologetic role, where even if we're not apologizing, we still somehow are, and we're scared of confrontation for the reaction we'll get. And I say kind of like, screw that, be yourself, be forward, be front, um, and let people see those sides because, like I said, they're going to come out eventually.
1: Yeah, and we spend more time and energy suppressing than it would be if we just let it out. Exactly. So this sort of foray into the emotions is is really nice because that's where I want to go next. A little bit about how have you stayed well in the process of being an entrepreneur? You've created two companies now. One is uh, like this last one, I got to know a little bit about the why with your friend um, and cousin who, who was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and this was a big part of her treatment and, and her ability to move through that experience. But how did How did you manage doing this? What what, what kept you grounded and well throughout these process, these processes?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it is just being really honest with how you're feeling. Um, So founder depression is a very real thing. Burnout is a very real thing. I think I actually just read an article where they put that on the mental health list,
1: burning out. The World Health Organization has actually called it a diagnosis now.
2: Yeah, and it is. Like it's a, it's a very 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 real thing that most founders, if not all, go through. Um I've always been extremely open about talking about founder depression and talking about the negative sides of being a founder because it's not all cherries and butterflies and rainbows. You know, a lot of it is actually really really difficult and I think a big part of sort of my learning process was also about finding balance. So because I started my first company so young, I would watch my friends going out and having fun while I'm sitting there seven days a week, 60 hour days working. And I realized that that, I can't keep that up. And it's not good for my mental health. It's not good for my physical health. And so I've learned this like really almost sweet spot of balance where I can can work really hard and I can be successful, but I can also enjoy my life and reap the benefits of owning my own company.
1: Mm, That's so critical. And I think lots of people don't realize that that can be the reality.
2: Yeah. And, and I also think that there's sort of this pressure put on founders or entrepreneurs where you have to be working seven days a week. You have to be doing 16 hour days, otherwise you're not worthy. And I disagree with that. I think that everything is about balance and it's extremely important to take care of you because if you're not well, your company's not going to do well.
1: What are some ways you think that we could encourage a dialogue within founders or encourage founders to not buy into this hustle cult- culture? Like, how do we bring more of that self-awareness into the entrepreneurial community? I th- oh, that's
2: that's a hard question.
1: Um, I think that it's about
2: education and, you know, this, this sort of like hustle culture, like you're saying, is just... I, Oh man, it's just, it's just wrong. Like that's how I honestly think is that, yeah, we should hustle. Growth is obviously like number one when you're building a company, all these types of things. But if you, like I said, if you're not well, your company's not going to do well. And I think a lot of it is just about education. I think a lot of it is about, especially as founders, it's about supporting our employees as well to not burn out because as hard as I was working as a founder, my team was working equally as hard, sometimes harder. So it's sort of this trickle down effect where they need to see you taking care of yourself and you need to support them to take care of themselves as well.
1: You have to walk the talk. Like those values have to be imbued in the company from the top down. Exactly. So sometimes when I was in that state, because like I, I hit my own burnout, like all of these different pieces in my entrepreneurial journey, and when I was in my recovery, I I needed examples from other people. I was like, what is a hobby? What does one do for fun? So yeah. could you share, what, what are the things tangibly that, that keep you going, that you love to do, um, that keep you sane, happy, balanced?
2: Yeah, so I, I actually have a lot of hobbies now, which is awesome. <laughs> I, I just bought my first dirt bike and I'm going to my first all-female dirt biking event this weekend. That is amazing. I'm, yeah, I'm super stoked about it. Um, I also have a Harley, so I, I've ridden motorbikes for a while now. Wow. Um, and I just started taking flight lessons to become a recreational pilot.
1: Whoa, that is yeah. amazing. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, so those are obviously bigger hobbies that um, also aren't as accessible to a lot of people because they are expensive, but there, there's tons of things now that I enjoy that I didn't before because I was so focused on my company and nothing else really.
1: Yeah. And I I think that when we clear that space for ourselves, it can feel so like tough to fill it or to find the things that like, like that question around like, what is joy for us as entrepreneurs? Because sometimes in the past, I associated it exclusively with work. And now it's like this whole other world has opened up of like, this is what joy is. This is what like enjoying life can be like. Um, Have you had a similar experience?
2: Yeah, I I also think that these hobbies can be related to work in a sense, like when I'm on my motorbike, or I'm up in the air in a plane, I can think about work in a different way, as opposed to like sitting at a computer. And I see things from an outsider's perspective, almost when I'm looking at it, not directly in front of me. And so I do think that, you know, I can closely almost relate these hobbies where I'm still enjoying it. But I get this different perspective almost.
1: Mm, Totally. When you're removed and just able to be somewhere else or doing something else, it allows your brain to work in different ways.
2: Exactly. And you'll,
1: you know, I'll be riding down the highway and all of a sudden I'll get
2: this idea that if I was just sitting there working nonstop, I probably wouldn't have thought about because I let my mind be blank. Um, And that's also a big part of my journey was learning meditation. Um, I practiced Buddhism and that was, you know, started in my early 20s when I started to burn out and I realized... My anxiety was getting really bad. I was feeling those sort of like senses of founder depression, that sort of thing. And that's when I turned to meditation. And that's been a huge help in my journey.
1: Meditation is a cornerstone of my own practice as well. I find that as like there are certain things or habits that um, – a lot of entrepreneurs do end up picking up, including meditation, including body movement, these different things. But to the listeners, like these things actually have helped me so much. And um, obviously, Mandy, you too. So just you guys can take time for yourself. You can you can take a second to breathe and pause and be well through the chaos. So I, I just want to cement that for you guys. This is your permission to do it. Definitely. Um, so... Something that I always like to uh, ask every guest who joins us on the show is about advice. Um, what advice do you have for our listeners, for them to thrive in their businesses and in their lives? So
2: I, I live by this model of just ask. Um, I actually have it tattooed on my hand. And I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just to remind me. Um, but I think as women, like I was kind of saying before, we're very apologetic We try to keep quiet. We try to keep to ourselves, not cause a scene or ask for too much. Um, And I say do the opposite. And anything you want in whatever form, just ask. Because the very worst case situation or scenario is that you're in the exact same position you would if you didn't ask at all. So if someone were to say no to you, you're in the same position if you didn't even ask. So I just think don't hold back. Go out there. Kick ass. If it all comes crumbling down, then try again.
1: Mm. Because rock bottom isn't as scary as we always think it is. Definitely. Been there many times. Same. (laughs) Hands up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So last question for you. What are your dreams for Jane? My dreams for Jane?
2: Um, I think obviously growing the company, reaching as many people as possible. Um, There's so many positive sides to cannabis delivery, whether it's accessibility, um, it's safe driving. So we bring it to you, don't drive when you're high, that sort of thing. There's so many different, you know, positive sides to this. So I just want to reach as many people as possible, help as many people as possible. Um, and I also would love to build eventually a community around Jane, which is sort of like an educational center to teach new, newbies to cannabis um, all about it and how it can help you and how it can change your life.
1: I love that so much. And I know I said that was my last question, but I realized that this actually, this aspect of cannabis, I haven't been able to chat with someone on the show yet. So um, I just want to take it there for a couple of minutes. Um, I remember when uh, the MNPR and like medical started happening, um, there was a lot of skepticism and fast forward a few years and we're at full legalization in Canada. Um, What made like, What do you see for the future of this industry, and especially women in this industry, being yourself one of the few women CEOs in the cannabis tech space, let alone the cannabis space generally in Canada?
2: I think that it's a really good time for women or just minorities in general to get into cannabis because it's such a new industry. So you take something like technology, which is you know still very much a man's world. It's an older industry now. Um, But something like cannabis is so new and because our minds are changing and we're adapting and we're understanding that equality is important, diversity is important, all these things, I think that cannabis in itself is going to be a very, very different industry. And I already see it when I go to different networking events or I go to different conferences. You see way more women and you see way more people of color, you see way more people with disabilities than you do in a lot of industries. So I think this is a really, really awesome industry for people to be a part of.
1: And something I think I read out of California was that when cannabis was illegal in the state, there was a higher percentage of female-led businesses than when legalization happened because um, a lot of corporations would just go and purchase a company and then put in their own white male CEO in a lot of instances. So what advice do you have for women, for people of color in the industry to persevere?
2: That's a good question as well. Um, I definitely have seen that. There's a lot of those larger corporations that are swooping in and buying all these companies that are you know, founded and run by women um, and people with diverse backgrounds. And I think that for me, even at this point, I could probably sell the company, but I wouldn't. And I would never want, I also would probably have sort of stingence on what would happen with it afterwards if it ever got to that point of selling it. I would I would make it a part of, you know, the contract that I would like a female CEO when it's taken over that type of thing. And it might sound weird, but because this is my baby, I want it I want to be I want the company to continue to be a part of moving this industry in a very diverse way.
1: And I think also you saying that is it's, uh, hopefully for some listeners, it's like, right, they have that choice. Like you can dictate that as you're going into a sale. The terms are negotiable. It's something that you can put in place as an expectation. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, so thank you so much for sharing these thoughts, for all of your thoughts with us today on the show. I loved our conversation and I look forward to when I'm in Vancouver and can use Jane myself or as it scales to other parts of the country. So thank you so much for your time. Thank Uh, you for having me. Loved having you today. All right, thanks so much. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC, and Scotiabank for helping us elevate women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook, Resources for Women Entrepreneurs, with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast, hosted by Rivers Corbett. Make sure to visit Corespace, K-A-U-R dot space to learn to better integrate work, wellness, and impact into your everyday life. Until next time, I'm Gomal Minhas. It's time to thrive.